0: Hello again, friends. Thank you so much for joining me here. It is Greg with the Wisdom of the Wilderness podcast. Thank you for being here and spending a little bit of your day learning something new. We are here to share wisdom gained from time spent in nature with a dose of inspirational and empowering stories of everyday people that move through uncharted territory, both literal and figurative. I hope you are as excited as I am to get to this week's episode. Here we go. Hey, all right, we're back. Thank you so much for joining me on the Wisdom of the Wilderness podcast today, friends. It is Greg, your host here. And today I am excited to share an episode with my good friend, Eli. Eli has had quite an interesting life. We had uh, quite an interesting set of fortuitous circumstances that uh, brought us together where we first met and have stayed in contact since that time. Um, That'll all be flushed out in the episode. So I'm gonna leave some suspense to it and uh, just let that develop throughout the interview. This is more of a conversational style which I really enjoyed uh, just a little bit back and forth and some of the topics we go into are stepping out of the comfort zone, uh, the real joys of being alive, some some thoughts about living in the age of anxiety, uh, the epidemic in western society, and how that can be alleviated with contact with the natural physical world. One of the key parts that stuck with me that we go into towards the end of the of the discussion is uh, Eli brings up some great thoughts about our ancestors and how they were experts in speaking the language of landscapes, having a very intimate knowledge of place, the the animals, the birds, the insects, the vegetation, the the edibles, the medicinals, all of the the resources around us and. That's quite the stark contrast with, you know, the, the modern technocratic society that we live in with all of, you know, the screens and the order on demand and everything else. So it, it's, it's quite the balance. And it's a very, very interesting way of looking at knowledge and resources when you have and are around people who can build a fire in a minute or a couple minutes with materials that are out there who know where to find food, know where to find water, know how to navigate off trail it was a lot, a lot of fun to record this. Uh, It is, it brings me back some fantastic memories, which we'll talk about. And I think there is a lot of great stuff in here that you can take, take solace in and uh, get some some fantastic wisdom from. Uh, Without any further ado, we will get right to the episode after the cow. Enjoy my friends and thank you for listening. All right, we are back again, friends, and you may have noticed that I totally forgot an introduction in the episode with Isaac, so uh, in light of that, we actually have an introduction today. I am really excited to be talking with a good friend of mine from way back in the day, Eli. Hey, buddy, how are you doing today?
1: Howdy. Oh, man.
0: Uh, (laughs) Hey, I'm good, Greg. How are you? I am fantastic, thank you. As we were just discussing, it is a beautiful sunny day on my part of the West Coast, I imagine down on your part of the West Coast.
1: It's spectacular,
0: yeah. It is, yeah. So, uh, Eli, I know what you do, I know how we met, but uh, can you give us a little information on uh, where you are now, what you're doing, and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about your journey through wilderness in any capacity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, through several twists of fate, <laughs> I have ended up as the uh, the executive director of the Boulder Outdoor Survival School, and I spend my time thinking a lot about human connection to wilderness and wilderness connection
0: to humans, and that's, that's my life these days. Wow, and yeah, that is a... Fantastic position, and I want to say, as an alumni and someone who's followed Boss for quite a while, thank you for all the work that you've done. It's been really cool to see the transitions that Boss has made into a nonprofit, and uh, all the really cool course offerings and uh, new new merchandise offerings that, that Boss has this year. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Greg.
1: It, holy moly, quite a journey, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm really proud of what we what we're doing out there.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us how you came to be the executive director of BOSS?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Gosh, well, how far back should I start? It's like, a, it a,
1: could be a long story, but I, uh Well, yeah. So the way that anyone works at BOSS is they take a long field course, 14 days or longer. And then if the staff on that course thinks they'd be a good fit, they invite them to apply to do a an internship, essentially. We call it an apprenticeship. But what, 12 years ago now, I uh, was taking a wildlife tracking class and met a guy in that class who I became fast friends with, a Swedish man named Hannes, who I really, really admire and really love. and in that class he just started insisting that i go take a boss course i had never heard of the place but he's an instructor there and he just you just said it was the best and i had to go and i had a long background in leading wilderness trips and being a mountaineer and a backpacker and had traveled all around the not all around the world not (laughs) nothing so grandiose as that but had had spent time in wilderness in different corners of the world and so i thought pretty highly of myself and thought it would take a lot to impress me. Um, But Hannes was just so persistent and he has such a cool Scandinavian accent. I finally, I finally caved and I got in touch with boss and they, they were gracious. They gave me a big, uh, big financial aid package so that I could afford to come. And that course really blew my mind about, um, Gave me a new understanding of what it means to be a human in the wilderness and what that means about being human and this all sounds like again kind of grandiose but it just it was just so true for me in that in that way and so when they invited me back to be an apprentice i i jumped at the opportunity um and i was kind of i was not their most dedicated teacher because i had another life teaching here at the university so i could just come for five weeks a summer or something. And I did that for a few years and worked my way up to become an instructor. And then, uh, when they transitioned to become a nonprofit, just the combination of random job skills and experiences I had matched really well, what they were looking for, for a a nonprofit leader. And they they asked me to apply. Wow. I, I always joke that they, uh, they knew that I'm bad at saying no. (laughs) And so I was the one that they should ask. But um, yeah, that was, that in short was how I ended up here doing this work. Wow.
0: Congratulations, by the way. (laughs) I forgot to say that. Thank you. Thank you. And guys, guys, (laughs) what is it like managing and operating running a non-profit holy crap greg
1: i had no idea what it would be like i I look back at myself when i was thinking about the job and just totally laugh at how uh how much i didn't know <laughs> but uh, what is it like i have no analogous experience to compare it to you yeah but it's like um And also, gosh, I would claim that uh, let me be the first to admit that I have no idea if anybody else who's a leader of a nonprofit has even close to a similar experience. But my experience has been like, I feel like in, in high school, I learned to juggle three balls. And then in college, I learned to juggle a fourth ball. And then in graduate school, I could juggle five balls at once. I was like really highly trained. And then I became it, you know, I was like a seasoned university adjunct instructor I was like juggling pulling pins and then I became executive director and they handed me a thousand balls and I was just like <laughs> running around <laughs> just like making lists of the lists that I had and, like, and trying to do a lot of things all at once but on my on the funnest days I get to call and and do interviews and talk with my friends and discuss like The nature of wilderness and what it means to be human. And that's what I really love. Um, And then there's just like, like with any job, there's a whole bunch of parts that you do because you have to, because it keeps the lights on. Um, So I think about insurance policies and think about marketing plans and think about pay rates and all the things that are less intuitive uh, and, and in my nature, but are just as important for the running of a
0: business yeah for sure and along those lines how did you get started in outdoor ed i mean you you've clearly done well and worked your way up but uh, what was was there like a cattle a catalyst or um an experience that you had that that really prompted, the, hey this is something that i want to do is i want to teach i want to be connecting with people at that level <laughs>
1: I, uh, my mom recently sent me a photo that was taken of some graffiti on a wall in Spain from a place that me and my parents visited together. And it was, she sent it to me because she liked the graffiti and also somebody had signed it with my initials with EL. But it just, said, you don't choose your life, you live it. And it's just like, (laughs) it really struck me because when you ask, how did I get here? I just, it's just been like a series of, like I had no grand plan to end up here, but there was just like, you know, each little decision that came up, I chose to spend more time in the woods than in an office. And I ended up in after education that way. I got really lucky after graduate school, I studied biology, Uh, my first job out of graduate school was actually leading wilderness trips for citizen scientists. So it kind of mixed the two, the wilderness experience and the science. And through that, I got a lot of field experience. And so just getting that field experience introduced me to how fun it was to lead trips and then also gave me that credibility when I was applying for other jobs. So, I just gravitated towards that. And I just, yeah, I love teaching, Greg. That's like, that's my jam. And I love being outside. And so, it, was, it just made perfect sense when I had the chance to do those two things together to, to jump on that. And I gotta say, it really helps that I have never needed much money, that I've always been content living, living out of my car or a backpack. <laughs> or a storage unit or whatever it was and that uh, free from those demands lucky to be free from from serious debt i've been been able to pursue those like low-paying jobs like outdoor ed
0: wow fantastic <clears throat> and yeah, yeah really lucky yeah i know you you really can Live, live differently and like value experiences and value that connection more so than valuing like a new Porsche or a 3000 square foot oh, house man. or what have you.
1: I worked one job in my life just at like really as an experiment because at one point I was frustrated with um, feeling uncertain about money all the time. And so I decided to pursue a job that would just pay really well and just like the rest of the details be damned kind of thing. <laughs> and part of the irony is that that job experience was really helpful in getting me this job, but um, it was really clear to me that having money was convenient, but uh, far less important to me than doing something that I thought was valuable. I was a, I was a headhunter for a Silicon Valley companies trying to find CEOs for startups. it was really miserable it's it's uh work that some people love and more power to them i i totally appreciate them but wasn't the right fit for me
0: yeah gosh and um you made the right decision (laughs) good work (laughs) thanks gosh wow and well you've been through like working in all the outdoor environmental education things what are what are some of the like you've had a lot of different ones have you seen like common themes or common types of people that'll come to a course that you're teaching or that you're instructing um like sort of common backgrounds or common changes in people once that connection with with outdoors with wilderness is established or is that something that you facilitate
1: gosh greg i am so curious about this you know, like I've worked doing like really what I would I would consider like best practices, modern environmental education that involves a lot of calculated um, calculated experiences. I think that the modern understanding of learning in the outdoors includes pushing people gently just <clears throat> a little bit past their comfort and having them feel a little bit uncomfortable and then bringing them back to comfort and doing like practical processing, kind of didactic processing. where we'll do a journal, journal journaling exercise and have a discussion that's pretty structured. And then I see that that has a really positive impact for students and people. And it's just like, they love the wilderness experience and they do all the exercises and we do it all and they have a good time. And- And then I go to BOSS and we take students out and we take them way beyond, light years beyond their perceived limits and their perceived comfort. And we never bring them back. We just teach them to be comfortable out there instead. And there's intentionally intentionally little structure around how to process that. I think it's really important in that context that we just make space for each student to process it on their own and support them in that. And I see people coming away from that with a really positive experience and feeling really great about it. And I, I so often wonder like, we can be really careful and design these wilderness experiences, but maybe it's just, <laughs> just the impact of humans living in the wilderness and facing and overcoming challenges. Like that's really what it's all about. And any structure we put on top of that is all well and good, but uh, maybe not necessary. And I find it fascinating. In fact, like the question you mm-hmm. actually asked, like what are, people, what are people getting out of it? And what are like, what are people seeking? Something I am so, so interested in is exactly that question. I don't know. <laughs> people come, I think, to boss with, the, the program has a reputation for being very hard. Really, really challenging. And so that reputation, I think, is in people's minds when they choose to come do the program. So everybody has the knowledge that they're going to be undertaking something difficult. And the reason that they want to do that, I think every most people come with a reason they think they're doing it. But I think really people just find themselves drawn to it. And they, I don't want to speak uh this like i don't want to blow anybody's uh reasoning off because this is exactly how i was when i came to the student i thought i knew why i was going but then afterwards i realized that that i had just been drawn to it and there was some part of me that just needed that connection to wilderness in the deeper way that
0: that program provides does that make sense Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> it, it totally does it's yeah, there there's something about that call like the call of the wild, the call of the wilderness, but yeah. like that call back to an and I don't even really want to say ancestral, like a way of being that would have been normal or day-to-day like not much more than 100 years ago, like 150 years ago that that yeah. was your pretty similar your daily experience and it's crazy how it's so foreign to most people now, but so natural to like humanity. Yeah.
1: I get so curious. I, uh, I, every once in a while I get a chance to talk to alumni from earlier boss courses, the ones that happened 40 or 50 mm-hmm. years ago. And I would ask them well, like, what, what do you remember from your course? Like w- what sticks with you 50 years later? And almost always somebody, they'll say a variation on the same theme, which is they remember the experience of being truly human. And that totally, I I love it, and I can't, I I love it, and totally understand it, and relate to it, but I also don't quite know how to interpret it. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I should have a, I should have like a ready line for that as the executive <laughs> director. I like, I don't, I think it's true, and I think it's something that is hard to put into words.
0: Yeah, I. As another alumna, I would completely agree. Like To to put the culmination of what I saw, what I felt, what I experienced, the connections with people at so many different levels, the connections with Grand Staircase and Boulder Mountain at so many different levels, and the separation, like physical, energetic, emotional, from the way of being that was day-to-day to to step into it, totally different Mm -hmm. world temporarily but then once being in that world how do you go back like remember walking walking back and walking into my job um my first day back at work after going Mm -hmm. like something's not right about this like this doesn't make any sense yeah (laughs)
1: totally i totally know i i always think uh you know the the mythology expert, Mm -hmm. Joseph Campbell, pretty widely known, I guess. Uh, He said something, or wrote something that I think about all the time. He said that everybody talks about humans' true desire being a desire for meaning, that they want their life to be meaningful. But I don't think that's true. I think that what we're really seeking is the experience of being alive. And I totally love that. And that kind of like instantaneous experience of being alive in the wilderness was something I like, honestly, it's hard to find. And I found it on that boss course. And that's why I was so excited to
0: come back. Yeah. And... That it's that experience that that like in a way it animates the whole rest of your life after you've had it. Yeah, Whew. chills?
1: That same guy that brought me back to brought me down to Boston the first time, Hannes, He's really articulate, really thoughtful guy, and he talks about that experience as uh, bringing us back to bedrock, like getting us out of all these layers of experience that we think are important and bringing us back to the just bedrock experience of being a human and experiencing that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something to be said for having that firsthand experience as well, because it's not something you can show someone in a PowerPoint or make a video and like market things with it's like firsthand. What did you feel? What did you see? What were your body sensations? Uh, like yeah every everything culminating. like you're you're <laughs> embodying your fit yeah, yeah like you're alive in it it's not something that fits into printed word or internet web pages yeah
1: <laughs> totally and i always feel like such like a goofy mystic when i'm talking about it like <laughs> like i'm making it such a big deal or something but i don't know what else to do i just invite Yeah, like I totally understand. When I talk about this and people are skeptical, I like I totally get it. And I just encourage encourage those people to like try it out. (laughs) Another yeah, maybe that's a weird thing to say too, but I wanna be the first to acknowledge that I sound goofy and that before I went and did it I would have been totally skeptical. Mm -hmm. It's hard to it's hard to think about something that I had never experienced before.
0: Mm -hmm. was yeah like when you decided to take it like was it was it a draw to to take a boss course for you or you know i got i wanted to personally challenge myself or see if i could do it or i want to go and learn these skills or i want to go run around the bush the desert in utah in the middle of july that sounds great um was it any of those or totally different um Hannes' recommendation?
1: Yeah, a lot of it was just the strength of Hannes'
0: recommendation,
1: but then there was also this part that was uh, after I researched a little bit and talked to him about it, it astounded really hard and it made me so curious that there is this thing that people have been drawn to for so long that's just really hard. And I was, I was like, you know, oh gosh, there's a there's a really hard running race called the Barkley Marathons out in mm-hmm. Tennessee. And I don't, know, I don't know a ton about the race, but I researched it a little bit and I have watched some movies about it. And the, the race director, totally kooky character in one of these movies said something that really stuck with me. He said, uh, the race is famous for like some years nobody finishes. It's so hard. But he's in response to being kind of hassled about that, like why would you set something up that's so hard that nobody finishes often? He just said, like, well, what do you what could you possibly hope to gain by attempting something you know you can finish?
0: Ooh. I love that.
1: <laughs> i was like, what? That's amazing. You're right. And so there was that piece going down to boss. I was like, I don't know if I I get hungry if I don't eat for like two hours. Am I seriously going to do this experience that I know involves being hungry? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was terrified, and but I think that's Im- that's important after having that experience on boss how did how has that shaped or transformed your life moving forward?
1: What a question, man. I love that question, and I have no idea how to answer <laughs> it <laughs> like. I mean, there's like the direct. You know, I I always want to be able to say like, oh, well, now I'm like not afraid of asking girls out on dates <laughs> or like <laughs> like some really totally uh, totally unrelated skill that I can re- I can report like being a superhero on now. But I mean, the easiest things to identify is I I still I love going out in the wilderness by myself and I'll do mountain trips and. I like going off trail and trying to go big distances. And there is an enormous comfort to being totally comfortable with the idea that I might run out of food or that I might not have shelter. To, like That deep sense that I know that mm. I'll be okay. That is just unbelievable. It's so good. And that like, I want to, I want to track that same trend in other parts of my life too. And I'm not sure that I honestly, I'm not sure that I can, but what I can say is that I talked to so many alumni mm-hmm. in, in this role. And I hear that again and again, cool. that people like when the, when the mm-hmm. pandemic started, I chatted with a, a handful of people who were in like when it was really really growing up in New York. I talked to two or three people in New York, just calling and chatting with alumni, checking on people who I had chatted with before. Um, and so many people reported they're like, well, you know, I just go back to my boss course. I go back to my priorities of survival. I think like, can I stay warm? Yeah, that's no problem. Am I gonna have water? Yeah, okay, good. Well, I guess I'll be okay. I'm just gonna hunker down and see what happens. And to know that there's folks that have this, like, regardless of what's going on around them, that they have some kind of equipment inside of them that allows them to feel calm and be able to accept difficulty in a way. It just really is amazing to me.
0: Mm -hmm. And inspirational too. It's all relevant to pretty much everything that happens. (laughs) The minute that you you walk off and hop totally. on the, the shuttle bus or get in your car,
1: did you did you track any differences
0: in I yourself? Right? Uh, great question. I did. That in a way, it's similar to to what you shared. Um, <clears throat> my reasons for going, I guess, the biggest one would have been just to see if I could do it, and I didn't really have a lot of concerns going in and I I don't mean that to say like, hey, I'm some, you know, I'm insanely awesome at everything. I mean, it it was going to be an experience and some part of me had accepted it would be the experience and whatever Mm. was going to happen was going to happen. So like I did a little bit of prep. I don't recall ever feeling like anything was unsafe or I was ever in danger at any point during the course. I I remember like discussions about navigating and and water and then food and things like that. Like the never ending, what are you going to eat for dinner when we're done? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't, you know, it was just like, I'm here, I'm experiencing it and it'll be okay. And that part has really stuck with me. Finishing that course really was a catalytic moment for me in my life where I went back to the office job that I had and it was like two days. I was like, no, this this can't, I, I need to be outside. That That was the catalyst mm. for going to get the pieces of paper for first aid and the pieces of paper for outdoor stuff and and driving. And that led to a full career transition for me and a number of bouncing around, living on not a lot of money, but having the experience. And I would say more of a focus on experiences and sharing things with people than on, money or prestige tangible things you know showing off with a car or or going out for a date to you know like the great steakhouse or the expensive restaurant it's been more like spending time with people in whatever way that might happen god i went for a run this morning around the local lake i'm like there is like 45 herons on that bank right now it's mating season for herons i only see one by itself and there's 45 like I can stop and appreciate that. And I still think back to some of the places that we were hiking and the viewpoints from the top of Boulder mountain, um, you know, hearing coyotes mm-hmm. in the middle of the night in the desert. i like, these are such primal and like ancestral, like deep soul connections with things. I still long to see the stars the way they light up. I'm like, it's, it's,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it really, Opened my awareness to other ways of being, and opened my awareness to, I get yeah, you'd say the value of mindset and the value of knowing for yourself and trying for yourself. Th- those have been like long standing, I and mean, in a in a way, it's a direct relation. Like I'm talking to you on this podcast because of how we met and because of that experience. Like, mm-hmm. hey, all right, I don't exactly know what I'm getting into. It sounds pretty. Well, I thought it sounded pretty cool. My coworkers thought I was going to die, but I thought it sounded pretty cool. <laughs> and here I am with a whole new skill set. But beyond that, it's like a sense of peace and presence and awareness of like in any literally any situation since that of I'm here. This is what I can control. This is what I can't. I'm just going to do the things I can and be okay with it for as okay as I can. Um, but be, be here and be present. And that alone has really led to some interesting opportunities. And I would say, yeah, I've given a reference point for the courage to take risks or the, to look back and say, okay, this thing I'm trying to do looks pretty challenging, but Hey, I did boss. It, it's not, it can't be that different here's what you did here. You Mm -hmm. can do this and then move forward with it. Something that comes up in
1: conversation among instructors when I'm chatting with people, is just like, it's so easy to like watch movies, read books to learn about this kind of thing um, Mm -hmm. intellectually, but there's no substitute for experience. Like you can, be the world's leading expert on survival psychology. But if you've never gone through an experience like that, (laughs) it's just a, it's not there. And that's really beautiful because it's so, I don't know. I, I keep coming back to that idea that this is just an innate human experience. And something that I love people realizing on every course is how deeply innately capable we all are by virtue of just being humans on the planet that our bodies are like, we're totally capable of going a few days without food. No big deal. It's uncomfortable, but you're fine. We can totally sleep out in the desert with no blanket, with no, you know, it's like, it's okay. You it's uncomfortable, but you're fine. And having that, that knowledge that discomfort isn't a survival threat is really
0: it is, and and it's one that i I take for that's something that, that I take for granted that everyone has had that experience, and then I notice, oh mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I'm like hey man, it's it's raining, you know, like do, do you want to work inside for the day? And I'm like, no, I can put on a jacket. I I'll dry off. It'll be okay. It's been that mindset piece.
1: <laughs> <Dude>. I. <laughs> My partner gets kind of annoyed with me because I, I tend to. There's like some part of me that this is. I think this is more says something more about me (laughs) than about the boss experience. But like, I kind of like. I kind of like that. Like I kind of like sleeping on the hard ground instead Mm -hmm. of on a big air mattress. There's something about sleeping in a pile of pine needles that is like oddly. It's not comfortable, but it's comforting.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I'm going. I'm going a little no. a little off track here, but I, I it's just... it, it it's is it's it's a it's a connection. I think it's a like a primal connection to our senses and the old ways of being because you know we're so or society is mm-hmm. so insulated from as you mentioned discomfort but you know you think of temperature like oh we're in temperature controlled houses get in temperature controlled cars so temperature controlled offices on the back you never really encounter heat or cold there's such a focus on like staying clean and keeping the germs away that you don't encounter dirt or you don't encounter sage you don't encounter you know like cow mm. manure on the trail or figure out oh is that a deer or is that an elk like it's there's a removal from of a big chunk of society from like the natural environment around us. And you go out and experience and have an experience like that. And then you start to notice, Hey, wow. I'm, or at least for me, I'm more drawn to that. You know, i I'm, I'm currently sitting outside. Mm-hmm. It's getting dark. It's the temperatures definitely drop. I could be sitting somewhere nice and warm and have a nice warm beverage, but I'm not uncomfortable. It's just a different way of being, but I can feel that sense of aliveness. Like my hand is cold holding the microphone here. My feet are cold because they're on the dirt, but Mm -hmm. it's something I can choose to do because I know I'm going to feel better from it, but I can't say that I wouldn't have known that had I not tried it.
1: I, uh, I love Uh being warm. (laughs) I just love it and I love being really full after a good meal and also um, I also just recognize that I love it so much more when it's not a given and this is something like my first day back after a course out in the field, like a cold fall course when I've been cold a lot that first hot shower is just like the most magical Mm. thing I've ever experienced And it's like uh, that—the joy in feeling that is really awesome.
0: <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm not suggesting <laughs> people like, deprive themselves <laughs> so that so that the things they do get feel better. But I do think that some of the like the real like joy of being alive is lost when we always have everything we want.
0: And uh, I think you shared that story so I could elaborate, which. Something that I know I shared on my old blog, but I think it got deleted. So I'm, I'm going to share this. We were on the same boss course. It was amazing. And do you remember after the course, we met up at that restaurant? The experience of my life that I think about most of the days since then is uh, so anybody who's out there listening, we did our boss course and uh, we finished and we happened to go down and be at the same restaurant at the same time in this little town of Boulder, Utah. And uh, there was a bathroom. And we had been living outdoors for two weeks and uh, I needed to use the bathroom and realized, Hey, we're not in the outdoors anymore. So I should probably act civilized. And I went into the men's bathroom and I shut the door and I saw myself in the mirror for the first time. And I was like, Whoa, my eyes have changed. My whole being has changed. And I looked at the faucet and I turned the tap and water, came out of the tap. Hot and then the other tap had hot water. And I turned it on and I just looked at it and I put my hand under it. I was like there's hot water coming out of this tap. It had been the entire length of the course more than the day of the course because I didn't stop when we were driving out there to to get there. I was like I haven't seen hot water come out of a tap for 2 weeks. What a magical experience. The only hot water that I've seen was for the dinner we were cooking. Wow. Hot water comes from taps. That is something that I don't take for granted anymore because I know the amount of time and effort that goes into building a fire with sticks. So you can heat up your giant number 10 can to have a hot meal. Yeah. (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) I totally, yeah. I love that. Just, it's like, we like take all these things for granted, that there's like running water and temperature control and food available to us really easily. And that's like, that stuff is awesome. I would like never argue ever that that should be taken away. <laughs> but coming back from a, a trip where none of those things are a given, like mm-hmm. cold a lot, getting finding water is difficult and treating water takes time and effort. There's often not food, so I spend a lot of time hungry, and then I'll I'll like go to (laughs) go to the Bertel Grill, and it's like, so I just give this little square of plastic to this nice person, and then they (laughs) bring me a meal. (laughs) That's like, and I just, I must look like a total lunatic because I just find it the whole situation to be so (laughs) hilarious and great.
0: Like, wow, ice in my water. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You really appreciate the small things after spending time, any amount of time in the wilderness, off off trail, uh, sleeping in the pine needles. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of everybody going out to try this so that we can remember, hey, yeah, this is all of the things that we have. This is all of these magical inventions, like that piece of plastic that that hot water tank heating stuff up that's that makes it totally worthwhile or it's great but it's it's different in a different way
1: (laughs) yeah it's so interesting it's like i think on a day-to-day basis it's easy to slip into this mode of a like thinking about our lives as we live them are like that's like the way that it makes sense to have a life like this is the only like this is what's reasonable what we're doing is what's reasonable and then like any deviation from this norm is crazy and to be so far outside of that and see that it's just like that's just what we're doing but it's like so far from the only option
0: Hmm. Hmm. that's cool yeah i like yeah, that the, and <laughs> I, I did kind of appreciate the the looks of like you did what for two weeks you <laughs> that that was your quote, like, air quote vacation? I'm like, yeah, and if I would be back out there tomorrow, how do I get back out there tomorrow? Somebody take me back out there. <laughs> the one that people always hassled me
1: was like, you paid how much for somebody to take you <laughs> into the desert and not give you food?
0: <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I did. but on that note, it's so worthwhile because... I can't remember the quote travel is travel is the only thing that you come back from richer or something along those lines, but it truly was an experience that has shaped so much of my, all of my life since then in a way, but shaped so many things from perception to worldview to ideas of my own limits to comfort and discomfort and knowing, knowing what you can get by with and, uh what is it no more carry less like that's that's huge that's a huge lesson and to be able to learn that in such a magical place but then to carry it forward to other people who are out there and whether or not they choose to go like it's an energy that i carry. it's energy you carry any other alumni carries it but it is that calm sense of like okay this is, yeah, I'm in whatever situation I am, but uh, I'm here. We're going to do what we can. Not going to be the end of the world. We'll we'll stay calm and we'll figure it out. And, and that's been useful, valuable.
1: Something, yeah, something you said earlier really stuck with me about um, kind of realizing that you have less control than you think you do on a daily basis. And I think that I certainly, I think, I think it's a cultural thing to some degree, but I certainly have this like subconscious belief that I have total control over my life and surroundings and that it's all about my decisions and what I choose. And I love that. I love that reminder of being out in a really big landscape with big weather, just as makes it pretty clear that I don't have total control and that I just got to do the best I can with what I have And that that can be like incredibly gratifying.
0: Yeah. It, it is. It, it's like, it opens up a new mm, mm-hmm. philosophy or like way, way of seeing the world, way of approaching the world. Mm-hmm. And that's so valuable. Um, and I think I'm a bit undervalued in what we're experiencing at, as a society you know with, with the different foci but to to be outside and have that realization like wow nature it, nature is pretty indifferent to me being here right now
1: what a relief <laughs> how great is that
0: yeah it's that that connection with the wilderness in a different way where you know we're it, it's been tough you know it's, it's been a year of corona and some people haven't had the chance to get in the wilderness but this is like thinking about boss or even just like seeing videos. Uh that's that's helped connect and that mindset of from being out there has really been helpful for navigating this past year. Um mm-hmm. I think about it a lot, you know, of of sleeping out under the stars, of just seeing seeing nature in a different way. Um from being mostly in and around a city for a year or, you know, in and around computers for a year, it's, it's different from stepping away for a weekend, stepping away for a long day hike, um, you know, week long backpacking trip or something. But I, I find those experiences where we are disconnected are so valuable. You know, when we are out in grand staircase, there's no cell reception. You don't have a cell phone, but you, you learn the skills and you learn the ways of being to to navigate that situation on your own but also your own life without a map or without a compass or without your electronics like you can rely on yourself and i think that self self-reliance or reliance on your small small group is a huge benefit from from being in in any type of outdoor education environment but especially from boss
1: i always (laughs) wonder why
0: (laughs) and maybe it's like
1: maybe it's my science background i don't know but i like i think that's true and that's been my experience and i get so curious why like is it that is it purely the experiencing of a difficult situation and like that bone deep knowledge that you'll be okay because we're we're really capable and we're survivors and like we can actually like really enjoy challenging times and all these lessons that you can learn or or is it or is it something else is it just like I I I read I read a lot about psychology and culture and some people have called Mm. this the age of anxiety (laughs) because there's like by all accounts there's a epidemic of anxiety in our in western cultures and like who knows mm. not to exclude other cultures of the world but that's where i do yeah. my reading as well about western cultures and i get really curious about like is that is that to do in some way with our lesser and lesser engagement in the physical world and greater and greater engagement through screens and through like just trying to be really cerebral about everything and so when we take ourselves out and engage really physically in the world is that just no matter what oh, for general? sure
0: for sure we we've and you know in our in our western culture there's so many voices screaming or screaming may not be the word but there's so many voices coming at you from so many directions about this is what you do. No, this is what you do. And this happened here and that happened here. It can be hard to separate that out from this is my experience. And mm-hmm. getting I mean it I think there's a lot to be said for the, the physical separation of of shutting off the screens and getting outdoors. And then you see, hey, wow, these things that someone said to be afraid of, there's not a lot to really be afraid of out here. You you can prepare and and be ready and <laughs> work with what is. Um but yeah, it, that's a good question. Yeah. Wow. You
1: just reminded me of something that one of our most seasoned <laughs> instructors says on courses. I've been really lucky to go out with her on several courses and something. Well, she's got all these great sayings. She's been teaching at BOSS for 20 years and is really thoughtful and articulate, but one thing she says is, we in our culture we often mistake material resources for mm. personal resources. The way you get personal resources is by having a lot of experiences
0: that are hard. Yeah, <laughs> and I forget the other no, thing that, that I was gonna say. <laughs> but that that one's that good. Really yeah. The, there's another one that I've heard too. Like you, you don't just get good decision making or good experience. It's like your your good decision making comes from sometimes quote bad decision making or learning decision making. And yeah. yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. That that yeah. really is true. Like having hard experiences and learning from challenges, I would argue is the best way to learn. Cause you you see what happens each way. It's not a this is, you know, this keeps you safe, this keeps you secure. It's like, oh, that happened. Okay. That could happen if you go off the map. You knowing that there's some consequences to it and experiencing a little bit ultimately gives you greater freedom. Yeah, that's <clears throat> true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is a fantastic instructor, by the way, I feel privileged and uh, grateful to have had a brief conversation with that person. Oh, um, awesome. I didn't really, uh, have you recently, been able to just that one time. With her right, recently or like, wow, that? This person has a lot of knowledge and I listened to a podcast that uh, that person was on and uh, Wow wow, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, must figure she's out a way very to very be adorable. on the course or reconnect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah Gosh, really wow. Um, it's a little bit, a little of a slight tangent, but um, the the environments that, that you've worked in and around, has there been a learning curve for you in being... Uh, on the west coast or in the Pacific Northwest environment and then moving over to the the sagebrush, the the step the desert of, of Boulder as you're teaching. Um has that been any type of learning curve or transition?
1: Oh my god, it's huge. So I I think of like again, I only have my own experience to to go off of here, so take it with a grain of salt, but I kind of think of it in my experience like each each landscape has a language and I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and spent a lot of time in the woods and the mountains here and so had some kind of basic fluency in how this how this landscape is put together and what to expect where and took for granted that I was about to say took for (laughs) granted that I knew where to find water the answer to (laughs) that around here is basically everywhere that understanding of like oh well you know, I'm on the west slope of the Cascades. I know that I can, if I get totally lost, I can just go downhill yep. until I get to a city, <laughs> and that won't be too long because everything is just cities all along the coast. And there's a, you, there's kind of landscape level stuff, and like I can always go to a high point and spot a volcano and navigate, like orient myself off of the volcano. And that is just kind of a given around here. And the givens in the desert landscape are just totally different. And I felt I was, it just made me totally laugh at how disoriented I could be and how I didn't Mm. know which way to go when I felt lost. I didn't know which way would end up in like a, a cliff or a Canyon or a huge sand bed in every direction. Or like, I didn't have an intuitive sense of where the water would be and, that took a lot of learning and I don't say I would never claim to be fluent in that landscape but I've got (laughs) a I'm like conversational maybe (laughs) and it has been really interesting there's we as a as a staff trip I had a I organized a local teacher to take us out and teach us about wild foods in the winter here and a whole bunch of boss staff from around the country came out and we did a a one week trip on the Washington coast in January and it was pretty like the weather was pretty gnarly and it was wet and it was cold and the really apt comparison that one of our, another one of our really experienced instructors gave was he was just totally laughing. He was like, you know, in Utah, I can, I can make you a fire in under a minute, but it's a real challenge to, to find food. And here we are in Washington and there's literally food Mm. washing up on the beach in front of us. Like we can just go out and pick food up off the ground, but (laughs) it'll take me six hours to make a fire. That really struck me because it was just how funny that that's just, yeah, the language of the different landscapes, you know, and the, the way to live easily in the winter in the Pacific Northwest is to prepare a lot and to have your shelter ready and to have your dry firewood and all those things. And the way to live easily in the
0: deserts of Utah is to have your food all figured out and your water all yeah. figured out. It, it really sheds a different light and gives a different level of respect for the indigenous peoples that lived in the different places. And that, pl- That place-based knowledge, too, of (laughs) what way is the animal going to go? What animals are here? What is going to kill me if I eat it? (laughs) All those fun things.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Totally. I read a really interesting research project that I I may misquote horribly in this conversation. Somebody... It's an anthropology project where this person was trying to quantify the amount of knowledge held by tribal elders in different tribes, different remaining tribes, as fractions of PhDs, because they wanted to have some, like, credibility in the Western system. And they, like, culturally, we tend to discount landscape knowledge, or think like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I got the Sibley Guide to Birds, like, I know about birds, no big deal um but the the knowledge held by people who had studied the land and the ways to get food and water and shelter from it for their whole lives turned out to be the conversation is leading up to the conclusion like obviously it was like this insane knowledge, and it was (laughs) that's like really i think that's really cool to acknowledge that this isn't we're not talking about something like oh yeah i went and took took a class for a week and now i'm an expert survivor and i can get all my food it's like no that's that's as much work yeah. as learning about quantum physics like it takes a lot of work yeah it's, it's hard and then to be able to go out and i've been really lucky lucky to go out with people who have that you know three or four decades of experience pursuing that and to just watch <laughs> with as they just like casually <laughs> pull food out of the landscape, or like without even stopping their talking, yeah. like they'll just reach into a creek and pull out a fish, and that sounds insane to wow. even describe that, but I have witnessed it happen. It's <laughs> like wow, oh, that's yeah, that evidence, such a um, immense amount of experience and knowledge to be able to do something so so. Well, that it looks
0: easy, you know, yeah, yeah, it's all that the language like the the actual languages you know the the spoken ones, but also those unwritten ones of the way the animals move when you know this is the moon that means this, this is the little bud coming up that means over here is going to be that like there's there's so much that wasn't written down that was passed <laughs> on generation to generation and. I hope it can be kept alive and passed on to, to future stewards in any capacity, yeah. because like it's so valuable and useful and cool. You know, like. <laughs> totally. Totally. And it's, I also
1: want to get into the mindset too. Like I don't want to discount the knowledge that, you know, a PhD with, in quantum physics has like that's an immense amount of knowledge too. Mm. it's not that that's like the wrong knowledge to have or something. I just want to, I want to be conscious that that's not, um, yeah, not a higher form yeah, of like knowledge work, than working no hands-on landscape.
0: versus working the theoretical, like they're, they have different applications, but that's not to say one's better than the other.
1: Totally. There's an us. I read, I read this quote in an, uh, mm-hmm. so, well, here we go. Another boss alumnus sent me a long beautiful email and included this quote that he really liked that struck me from an australian author Mm -hmm. i think william lines who said uh, the only reason we believe in progress is that we've forgotten more than we remembered." i agree (laughs) i do too and i am always so careful to never get in i i don't ever want to present myself as saying like oh if only we could go back to be hunter-gatherers because I don't think that's the right path for any of us well maybe for some folks but not for people in general but I also want to be careful that I never start pretending like we're somehow better (laughs) than we used to be and I I just can't think like yeah folks living 100,000 years
0: ago were highly trained experts definitely that's something I've thought about a lot in in the context of North America and you know, being around different places. Um, God, a friend and I used to go hiking in the mountains of Colorado and you know, we'd be getting up at four in the morning, hop in the car, drive and hike the 14 but like I've got all these magical technical fabrics on and I've got these like shrink wrapped granola bars I'm gonna eat and my box of crackers and you know, my water bladder and things. I'm like and we, we, at some point along mm-hmm. the drive, like, you realize that, you know, in the 1840s people walked across this landscape wearing cotton and maybe had a blanket pushing everything they owned to try a new life. And yeah, I'm kind of complaining because my butt's cold, but I have a heat seater or a seat heater. <laughs> like just that, that separation of like, wow, all the knowledge you would yeah. have, like that would have been your way <laughs> of life. you You're physically active all day. You know when the berries are in season. You know where the antelope are going to be, where the buffalo move. (laughs) Where, like, I think that's so cool and so often taken for granted. Like, I can walk or drive to the supermarket and buy a piece of shrink-wrapped meat. I want, like, what would it have been like to hop on horseback or to to be standing on the ground and corral (laughs) buffalo or you know drive them off a cliff and harvest the remains like it's such a different world but it's not better or worse which is cool because then it just opens it up it's like we're constantly
1: learning and striving it's it seems to me that that's just human nature that we just are no matter what we're trying to gain expertise you know listening to stories watching movies it's all like part of this information gathering and expertise building like a body of knowledge and we just get to choose where which direction we go with that oh
0: gosh I hope we choose. Well, you have chosen wisely. <laughs> I hope so too.
1: <laughs> and like, I don't want to pretend like I know the right direction. I have like, I would never claim that kind of knowledge. <laughs> I'm just proud of myself that mm-hmm. I've recognized that there are different and, directions
0: to go. And I basically. would add too, there's value in those different directions for whoever's pursuing them or choosing them. That we can coexist peacefully and harmoniously with different choices. Um. Yeah, like I, I, I think often mm. of being on the West Coast and the 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 stark differences between like the the First Nations or the Native American or Indigenous tribes in this region versus the ones that would have been living in Utah uh, or Bosque, or like you know, a couple of centuries ago. How mm. similar yet how different they are in terms of everything, um, but there was still coexistence and evidence of things being traded back and forth. And you're like, wow, like big, you, just cause you're different, you can still work yeah. together or still survive. You, you have had a ton of fantastic experiences in your life. And I'm curious, what advice would you have for someone thinking about a career in the outdoors um, and and, or as a separate question, like taking a course with boss or connecting more deeply to the environment, Tom, what would you tell people?
1: So things that I've realized after I'm like 40 years old now, I've had a whole bunch of different jobs and ex- explored a lot of different pathways. And something that I really find to be true in my life is uh, no matter what I choose to do, I'm, I'm sacrificing something. So... Working in the outdoors, there's a lot of sacrifices. There's like, you're never going to be making a, (laughs) you're never going to be driving a Porsche. (laughs) You're never going to have like excess wealth spilling out of your pockets. Um, But then for me, like working the job where I did make a lot of money, I was sacrificing other things. And in that case, Mm. it was things that I was far less willing to sacrifice. So I don't know. For me, it's all about like finding, finding the path that feels worth making the sacrifice for. Acknowledging
0: that no matter what path you take, like you're making that. a sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, I would add, you've got a wealth of experience. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it
1: ain't no easy way through this. So, if, if it's oh, gonna be hard, yeah. might as well do the hard thing that yeah, feels worth it. I
0: love that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, any anything boss related
1: boss related advice if it if it gongs if it feels like the right thing go for it and if i just Mm -hmm. i want to i want to acknowledge too it's not the right thing for everybody so if that kind of challenge doesn't sound interesting more power more power to to you but if it sticks with you if there's like something that sticks in your brain and you just keep thinking about it i just the plunge for me is was just so worth it it's a big plunge but worth it.
0: Yeah, it is, it was, and it is. Gosh, well, Eli, I want to say thank you very much for your time and and all the energy you put into Boss and your careers and the extent of preparation to share what you do with so many people and make a difference in people's lives. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to to either – follow along with boss or follow along with you um i know there's a brand new website out there that looks fantastic oh thank you yeah gosh i don't know find find boss on
1: the on the internet check it out and it's a small organization oh really if you just submit a contact <laughs> form it goes to me <laughs> and, another, and another person also oh, that I, I take a look like, at all cool. of them I because guess I want to see last what people question, are getting like, are there, about.
0: Have you noticed any change since, I mean, we're in a year of coronavirus stuff. How, has there been a difference in people apl- like contacting or applying?
1: Yeah. <laughs> How, what's the easiest way to put this? Like, you know, February and March are usually when our enrollment starts to pick up. Um, and here we are at the end of March, where i would normally expect there to be you know interest just growing but at this point almost all of our classes are full there's so much interest right now it's just going to be a total blockbuster of a season thank you and i know that that's a trend that is happening to a lot of different uh organizations in in the outdoor industry and that's really heartening to me
0: to see how much interest there is That warms my heart to hear that too, to, to, to see the increased interest and the amount of experience people are going to have to, to reconnect and rebalance, and then to spread that out to the next group and the next group and the next group. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it's really great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. And I am so excited to get together and have a beer when we can. All righty then, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for joining me, friends. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. I hope you get a chance to go outside and breathe in some fresh air or that you've already been outside and perhaps you're even listening to this at the end of an incredible adventure. If you get a chance, it would be wonderful if you could leave a review at the podcast hosting platform that you found this on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, a whole bunch of other things, drop a review. That is fantastic. It helps spread the word, share the benefits of nature, and share some of these inspiring and empowering stories of what we can all do when we put our minds toward it. Spring is in the process of spranging here where I am. I hope that things are starting to look look brighter, smell sweeter, uh, get warmer wherever you are, and we will catch you next week for another episode.